Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. I earn my place at the table. And what the Lord knows is that impulse is the essence of sin. That's what led us outside of the garden in the first place, that, that we wanted to find our fulfillment and satisfaction apart from God. We didn't want to be dependent creatures. We want to do it ourselves. And so when we do that, when we come to the Lord and he says, here's the offer, it's free, come, come feast. And we try to offer anything in return to earn it, the offer is void. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Do you consider yourself to be a self-sufficient person? As Pastor Ricky teaches today, you'll learn how this kind of independence sometimes comes as a crutch. In our hearts, we often want to take credit and say, I did this, I got here. In our society, there's something to be said for personal responsibility and taking action. But today, Pastor Ricky reminds us that when it comes to our salvation, may we never forget that it was all on Christ to save us. Nothing we did had the ability to solve that problem. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Isaiah chapter 55. As he begins his message, Christ was born for you, born to those with nothing. Well, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Our Advent series is called Christ Was Born for You, but the for you is the emphasis there, right? Christ was born, but it's not just a fact that, okay, that happened a long time ago, great, but he, that fact connects to your life. Christ was born for you. And the, the emphasis today from Isaiah 55 we're going to look at is Christ was born for those with nothing those that are empty, those that are penniless, who have nothing left, that's exactly the place to be to receive good news today. So Isaiah 55, beginning of verse one, this is God's word. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure Love for David. Well, one of my favorite old dead theologians is a guy named Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher. I commend him to you. Got great devotional readings, great sermons. And so I made the mistake of looking up Spurgeon's sermon from Isaiah 55, and it's so good, I'm just going to steal parts of it. But I think it's okay because he's dead. So I don't know the copyright issues, but I'm going to just go ahead and take it. And he uses this illustration. I'm going to tweak it a little bit, okay? He uses this illustration to describe the kind of text that Isaiah 55 is. And he, he talks about Isaiah 55 like, like a, a shopkeeper announcing to a crowded marketplace his offer 
and trying to get people to accept it. So Spurgeon was, was in that day, 19th century London, where it was crowded. There'd be these open markets. The fishmongers would be yelling. The flower, you know, people would be yelling. Everybody's there yelling, trying to get, you imagine like right before Christmas, everyone's getting gifts right before Christmas. People are shouting out, no, come over here. No, low price. No, 50% off. No, 75% off, right? And people are shouting back and forth. And at the end of the marketplace is the Lord himself. And he opens his arms wide and announces the best offer imaginable. So the way we're going to walk through this text is as if the Lord is making this offer to us. And we're going to find, though, that the obstacle to taking advantage of this amazing, limited time, incredible offer is not what we think it is. It's something else entirely. So first, the offer. What is the offer? Verse 1, this is the offer. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now, remember that this section of Isaiah was written to God's people that had been taken away into the exile and probably had had just returned home. And so they returned home to find themselves bankrupt, impoverished, penniless. The wealth of their nation was gone. Their treasures had been taken away from them. Anything of value had been stripped. Essentially, their country had been stripped for parts. They went from the glory days of Solomon to simply trying to survive. They would be worried about their next meal constantly. And when a big feast or holiday was coming up, they would be trying to scrimp and save just maybe a little bit extra for that day. Now, the important thing to note, though, is that Isaiah is not primarily talking in terms of economics. Rather, the the economic reality of God's people is pointing to a deeper spiritual reality. This is a spiritual picture of God's people. They were empty. They were thirsty. They were, they'd lost everything. Remember that they were taken into exile because of their sin. This is part of God's judgment. He, he, in essence, God's people said, we don't want anything to do with you, God. And so the Lord said, okay, then off away from me you will go into exile. But he didn't leave them in exile. He faithfully led them back. And so they're in this place of spiritual poverty. And biblically speaking, like anthropologically speaking, in terms of humanity, humanity was designed with constant reminders of our dependence on God. And two of those reminders are our need to eat and our need to drink. You can survive for 7 to 21 days without food and only three days without water. And you can't survive very long without sleep either before you just collapse. And and why are these things there? Well, these are reminders embedded from the creator into us, his creation, that we are dependent creatures, that we need these things, otherwise we will not live. And in that way, meant to draw our attention up to God, our creator. We are dependent on him for our life, our breath, our food, our drink, our everything, And the problem is that humanity then in the garden, it had this bountiful feast around it. There was a water of life. There was food of every kind. And yet humanity said, no, we don't want that. Rejected God and was cast into the wilderness. We were made to be sustained by God. Our our souls are thirsty and hungry for God. And that is why this offer to come back, as it were, to the feast is Glorious. The Lord is, the picture I have in my mind is when Jen and I were 
We're in Ireland. Years ago, we went to Ireland, which is kind of her family's heritage, for an anniversary trip, a big anniversary trip. And if you walk down the streets, these narrow streets of Ireland, they have restaurants. And so in, in front of each restaurant was a guy or a girl that would stand out with the menu. And I'd never experienced this. Usually in America, like we just kind of put the menu like on the wall. And you're kind of like, hmm, okay, all right, let's see. Let's go check this menu out. It's a human menu. Right? And they're like, oh, how are you doing? Like, oh, can we, what are you hungry for today? Oh, we have this, we have that. You should try this, you should try that. And it's like a human person. And you're kind of like, hey, back off, man. And then another person would come up and say, hey, what do you, you know, you want in the mood for some Indian food? We got some Indian, you know, and, and you're just like, oh, whoa, whoa. That, that, that is what this is like. The Lord has come up to his people and saying, why are you out here? You're starving, you're thirsty. Come into the restaurant. The table is set, everything is here. And this is how he describes the table being set. There's water, there's milk, there's wine. And David Mathis points out that these are three spiritual realities. First, water is necessary for survival, right? If you're out in the desert for two days without water, you're going to be on the brink of death. Water is what restores you to life. And God is offering to restore his people back to life. But not only that, he will not only help them survive, he's offering to help them thrive. He, this is the picture of milk, right? Milk is for usually maybe one of those people that's just like a cold glass of milk at night kind of person. But mostly, uh, as in this day, milk was for infants, for kids, for nourishment, to help them grow. And that is what's in view here as well. God is offering to not just kind of keep his people on life support, but to help them grow and thrive and the third picture is wine. Now, in Scripture, wine is a picture, not just, it's not a survival. Wine is a picture of feasting. Imagine the biggest party you've ever been to, a wedding celebration, a 50th anniversary celebration, a first person in your family to graduate from college celebration. Somebody graduates from college or the police academy or whatever. There's a big family celebration. Nobody is busting out cups of water there, right? You may be a, a, a Haritos family, right? You got the big case of Haritos. It's a hot day. Everybody's busting those things open, tss, tss, you know, like, ah, yes. Or maybe you love the winter. You're out in the cabin. You got hot chocolate served. Everyone's toasting. Or maybe you're a champagne kind of family. If you are, like, good for you. God is offering not just the minimum his people need. He's not just offering a little bit more that they can grow. He is offering a feast. He's offering, in essence, to take them back to the garden. That is the offer. That is what the Lord is out in the marketplace shouting. But point two, there is competition. Verse two says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? God comes to his people and finds them out there spending money at places that will not satisfy them. God is not the only one selling in this crowded marketplace. And outside of the Garden of Eden, humanity is constantly moving from thing to thing, trying this and that, anything outside of God that they can use to survive, to thrive, to celebrate. But all of it is empty. All of it is powerless because it's cut off from the source of life, which is God himself. As it, I often do on Saturday afternoons, I took a rabbit trail through the etymology of a modern word. Doesn't everybody do that Saturdays? Uh, it's a good, fun way. And I looked up the term thirsty. 
Don't worry, parents, this is safe for kids. The modern term thirsty actually originated in the 80s in its modern usage as a slang term for somebody interested in drugs, right? So if you hear somebody on the street, oh, that person's thirsty, what you meant, what that meant is that they were looking for drugs. They're looking to score some drugs. Then in the internet era, it became, as defined by one urban dictionary, a graceless need for approval, affection, or attention, one so raw it creeps people out, right? We see this all the time right, in social media where maybe everybody has that one friend that people are posting nice holiday pictures. And this one person, they post this picture and you're like, man, you spent a lot of time staging that picture. You know what I mean? The lighting is perfect. They're wearing their best clothing. It just, and they're like, just a casual Christmas morning. And they've got like, whew, they've been up for two hours getting dressed. You know, their kids are all arranged, right? There's a roaring fireplace, half-eaten cookies, every, like the whole thing. And you're like, man, all right. Like, that's kind of what it became. And then in recent years, it's become to describe somebody on the romantic prowl or just out for carnal pleasure. Somebody who's just out there trying to get attention, affection one way, pleasure one way or the other. And I think in that word, <laughs> you see humanity's problem. We just keep going from thing to thing to thing, whether it's drugs to attention to desire to romance to kind of just carnality, whatever it is, from thing to thing to thing, looking for something that will satisfy us. And the Lord says, there is a problem with this. The problem is, it's not bread. It does not satisfy. It may look appetizing, but I remember years ago... I, in an attempt to make a grand romantic gesture, uh, I took Jen on Valentine's Day, I think this is when we were dating, to, to a fancy hotel that served like an afternoon tea, you know? It's very fancy, and there's like, you know, these teas and little sandwiches and little cookies, and, they, and I'm thinking, and it was not cheap, I'll tell you that, and especially for like a kid, a guy in college trying to go scrape up the dough for this, and I remember at the end of this, you know, hour presentation of various teas and small sandwiches, I, we left, and I looked at Jen, and I was like, are you starving? I feel hungrier now than when I went into the tea. And she was like, yeah, I'm, uh, so I think we got like a pizza or something like that, right? Like you're eating all this food that's fancy. And it's like, ooh, and you're like, ah, there's nothing there. There's no substance. That is what the Lord is saying about the world around us, right? And the, the price is steep and the payoff is meaningless. So the Lord says, come here. Come to me, come to my feast. Third point, the price. Now, this is the unexpected obstacle that we run into. The Lord says, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, Spurgeon makes a great comment here. He says, okay, for most realms of life, the seller is always trying to bring people up to pay the price needed, right? You know, you like that car? All right, well, it's this much, but let me talk you up to it. Or, you know, th that's a really nice suit jacket, so let me talk you up to being willing to spend that money. But here, the obstacle is different. The Lord is actually trying to talk his people down to his price. He's trying to say, no, no, you're not, you're not getting it. It's lower. It's lower, lower, low, 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 okay. Free, yes, there it is. That's what it, that's what it costs. And the problem, Spurgeon says, is that so often when faced with the Lord's offer, we come and we try to say, well, I, I, I got to give you something for that. You know, I got to do this. 
All right, let me tell you a story. Uh, about a few years ago, uh, my wife and I, my wife had kind of a beater car, so we were interacting with this one salesperson who was trying to say, hey, I'll give you a really good deal on this car. It's, it's more reliable, it's nicer, I'll give you a really good deal on it. So I began to haggle with this salesperson, and, and I felt the price that they were offering for the vehicle was too low. Don't you guys do this as well? I, I hear the offer, and I'm like, that seems low. Let, let me give you at least this for it. And the salesperson, annoyingly, said, no, this is the price. I, don't, I won't accept more than that. Like, well, let me, let me what, about, what if I pay you this now, and then I also pay you this later? And they're like, what, what is wrong with you? Just, this is the price. Just take the offer. And the salesperson, very annoying, turned out it was my dad. My dad was, they were changing vehicles and they were trying to help my wife and I out and say, hey, we're, we're gonna get rid of this car. We, we're gonna give it to you. We only want this for it. And I was the one saying, no, 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 I, I want, <laughs> I wanna give you a little bit more. I wanna give you a little bit more. And Jen is just looking at me like, what is wrong with you, right? And <laughs> just take the more, you know. And, and so after that, I began to think, okay, why did I have such a hard time with that? And here, you know what it is? Here's what it is. I wanted to be able to walk out into the garage, see the car, and say to myself, I did that. That's me, right? I wanted to turn the key in the ignition, drive it down the road, and say, yep, yep, I got this. This is me, right? And that is the exact same impulse the Lord is having to push against with his people here. The, the Lord is offering a free salvation. And they, in, in a sense, one of the reasons they can't take advantage of the offer is because they're like, no, 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 I want to give you something for this. And, and Spurgeon describes various ways Christians can do this. Sometimes Christians offer religious ritual in exchange for the offer of this feast. They're the person that does certain prayers over and over and over. They have to do certain kinds of penance. They have to light candles. They have to do this or do that. And, and they bring all of this and say, okay, I will pay for that with this. Or Spurgeon says, there's, there's the kind of Christian that, that does many good deeds. They're always out serving the poor. They're always giving to the little, the little red bucket every holiday season. They always march for justice. They do every social media campaign, even ones you've never heard of. We're like, is we trying to save a specific tree in Utah? Is that what this social media campaign about? Yes, Bob in Utah, we're gonna save this tree, right? And, and it's sort of a millennial thing where it's like, well, I know the Lord's offering me all this, but I have to offer something back. I have to, I'm really good, I promise. Or maybe those that have certain theological knowledge that know a lot about God. They've read so many books. They've memorized confessions. They can correct their small group leader every time he commits a small heresy, right? Like, ah. Uh. Or those that have had experiences, that they, I've, I had this time of prayer. I did this. I experienced this. I, this spiritual gift I have. They receive the gift, but say, but I can pay you back with this. Here's the truth. The moment we try to offer something to God in order to receive his gift, we void the offer. And here's why. Because there is something in our human hearts that says, we want to receive the salvation of the Lord. We want to enter the feast, but we want to look around and say to ourselves, I did this. I got here. I earned my place at the table. 
And what the Lord knows is that impulse is the essence of sin. That's what led us outside of the garden in the first place, that that we wanted to find our fulfillment and satisfaction apart from God. We didn't want to be dependent creatures. We want to do it ourselves. And so when we do that, when we come to the Lord and he says, here's the offer, it's free, come, come feast. And we try to offer anything in return to earn it, the offer is void. So the Lord is is trying to bring us down to empty hands, empty pockets, receiving the gift. But this gift, though it is free to us, is costly. Point number four, the payment. This is costly. Verse three charges us to incline our ears. And God offers, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. And at first you're like, wait, wait, you're talking about an offer. And then all of a sudden you bring up David. I don't understand what's happening here. Well, this is very intentional. First, it points out that this offer from the Lord is not any old offer. This is a covenant. The Lord is offering a covenant promise to his people. A promise like the covenant with David is being made, a covenant offer is being made to God's people. And David, as we've seen in Isaiah last year, David is often used in scripture as a foreshadowing of the future Messiah. Somebody will come like David in the future, and that's what God's people looked forward to. Perhaps most famously, we remember reading about this Messiah, this future David in Isaiah 53. You have this picture of God's people have all this weight of sin and debt against God, and yet this suffering servant comes and pays that debt for them that they might be welcome to the feast of God. John Flavel, a Puritan, uh, Flavel, a Puritan says this, thinking about and imagining the dialogue between the father and the son, he says this. The father says, my son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? The son says, O father, such is my love and pity for them that rather than they should perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their guarantee. Bring all thy bills that I might see what they owe thee. Lord, bring them all in that there may be no after reckonings with them. And on my hand, you will require it. I will choose to suffer your wrath then that they should suffer it. Upon me, Father, be all their debt. And the father says to the son, but my son, if you undertake this for them, you must reckon to pay the last cent. Expect no discounts. If I spare them, I will not spare you. And the son says, Father, let it be so. Charge it all to me. I am able to pay it. And though it prove a kind of undoing to me, though it impoverish all my riches, empty all my treasures, yet I am content to undertake it. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong in
When the angels announced Christ's birth to the shepherds, they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Here at Better News Radio, we're bringing you the same message today. Christ was born for you. Why is that such great news? Because he's the Savior who died and rose again. And in doing so, he took away the sins of the world. He took away your sin. All you need to do is believe in him and turn and follow him. If you made that decision today, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email at radio at crossofgraceradio.com. Once again, that's radio at crossofgraceradio.com. We want to be praying for you as you branch out into your new life. And if you're not sure yet about making that decision, then head on over to our website, betternewsradio.com, where you'll find the Better News book, a short free book that asks all the questions you're dealing with right now. That website again is betternewsradio.com. We're so glad that you decided to join us here today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcanta. Better News Radio is a ministry out of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. You'll find all sorts of information about our church, including service times and location at our website. We'd love to have you come join us if you're in the area. Once again, that website is betternewsradio.com. Thanks again for joining us here today. We'll be back next time with all of the good news right here on Better News Radio. Oh, and Merry Christmas.